This is 1 in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. 1 in 44 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And today I uh, am talking with Carolyn, H- Carolyn Houston, excuse me, uh, author of a series of um, children's books, uh, starring her son, James, and we're going to get into uh, all of those books and what they're about and, and some of your background, Carolyn. Um, but also, since it's a little bit long, I want to several times throughout today, just tell people what your website is so that they can read a little bit more about you and the books and um, order any of them, which you can also find on amazon.com. So the website for you is Carolyn L. Houston, and that's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N. L H U S T O N dot Wix W I X dot com backslash Carolyn L Houston. So um, I'm going to do that a few times just because I want people to capture it. And then when we get the word out about this episode of the podcast, we'll also include that link for you as well. Carolyn, long, long winded introduction to <laughs> Carolyn Houston. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, it's my pleasure. I, I love uh, the opportunity to meet so many different people doing different things, um, all with some connection to uh, a loved one with autism or the or research or the field of autism in some capacity. And, um, you know, obviously you're making a significant impact, especially when it comes to uh, using the books you've written that, again, highlight the experiences of, of you and your family and specifically James. Um to impact children and families and professionals in the school settings. I'd love to have you talk a little bit about um, yourself, your background, and, and how you came to decide to, um, to start writing. Well, I started writing actually as a high schooler, some just going to creative writing camps. And then that got put on a back burner as I had my daughters. And when my do- one daughter was in fourth grade back in 2000, she had to do a report on traditional Iroquois foods. Mm-hmm. and discovered that the book her teacher gave her included prickly pear and buffalo, and she knew none of those were eaten by the Iroquois people and threw the book across the room. <laughs> so we wound up spending over 40 hours interviewing tribal elders, going to cultural centers for a fourth grade paper. And afterwards, I said most parents would never do anything like that. <laughs> so we decided it would be a good idea to create a book that actually explained that, but I wanted to make sure I had Iroquois illustrator with working with me. And then life happened and we had to put that on hold for a while. Um, And then I brought it back up again in 2010. And then James was diagnosed with autism around that time. And he was getting services four days a week. So that got put on hold again. Then we moved back to New York and James was getting ready to go to preschool. And I could find no picture books that dealt with kids with special needs going to preschools. Hmm. There were hundreds of kids about books about kids going to preschool, but none that featured kids with special needs. Interesting. So I started the book, James Goes to Preschool, and my cousin illustrated that one. She also has a son with autism. And in the back of the book are actually two pages uh, from the National Research Council. Um, and they gave suggestions on what to look for when you're looking for a preschool for a child with special needs. Okay. So that's the back of the book. So not only you're preparing for your child, but as a parent, you can use the book as a resource to find out what you need. Mm-hmm. And throughout all the books, I added questions. Some require yes, no answers, but most of them require some thinking. So the whole series of books is actually designed to be read with kids. And it's a way to open discussions. 
Okay. And when you, the questions, are they the types of questions that would be um, asked both um, of like a classroom full of kids, maybe an integrated classroom where there's some kids who are um, neurotypical and some kids who are neurodiverse um, on the spectrum, or maybe have other, um, other challenges. Um, Is it meant to be like a group discussion and or can it also be used as like a one-on-one way to engage somebody who might need a little bit more um, of a pointed question to really get them thinking about what they're hearing in the book? It can be done with either. Mm-hmm. Like one of the questions, when do you have to line up? So a child <laughs> have to think about when that's lined up or lots of kids might come up with that. Mm-hmm. Or what's your favorite story? What colors do you like? Those are some of the questions from the preschool book. Okay. So it's some questions and they start, some of the kids start to realize they have more in common and start looking at the similarities and less more as opposed to the differences. Yeah, I love that. I actually really love that because um, having been a teacher for a period of time in my, you know, many years ago, um, I think, you know, when you're reading to, to groups, especially of young children, but really when you're reading out loud to anybody, you can easily get sucked into like we have, you know, a half an hour. So we're going to read a half an hour worth of books. But I always find that the most interesting, both for the reader and the listener is when, you know, my parents used to do this where they'd stop. And kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent or some discussion um, about something you're hearing. And it, I do that even with my own son when I'm reading to him at, at, at bedtime. It makes it more interesting for everybody. So I like that you've kind of put that in as a prompt, both for the listener and for the person reading. Just just a little interjection there. <laughs> and like in the book, James Learns He Is Autism, that one came out when James was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I read that to his class. And on April 1st, and prior to sh- sharing the book, he'd been invited to birthday parties during the year. Mm-hmm. After sharing the book, he'd gone to a therapy session. And I thanked the kids for being such great friends to him in school. And one of the little boys stood up and said, who's friends with James in school? We need to fix it. And we need to fix it now. <laughs> and he was actually invited to eight parties the rest of the school year. And the parents and the students suddenly realized they could talk about what was going on. And they could talk about autism with their kids. And mm-hmm. they understood it. Like one of the questions in that one shows James in a picture curled up in a ball in the nurse's office at school and talking about being scared. And then I ask kids, what do you do when you're scared? And someone said, curl up in a ball, curl up under a blanket. And they all realize they do the same things he does. Yeah. Yeah. They just may not do it as much in school, mm-hmm. but they realize that they have so much more in common and really yeah. started looking at that. And it made a huge impact. And even as these kids got older, in fourth and fifth grade, they were asking me to come back and reread the books so they could understand more. That's so amazing. And, and, how, and, and how awesome that the kids took the lead, that you introduced them, you know, they knew James already, but then you introduced them to the information through these books. And then this one little boy in kindergarten stands up and says, okay, well, you know, it's easy enough, or maybe it's not easy, but it's happening in school. But what ha- about when everybody goes home? Who's friends with James outside of school? And all of a sudden, you've got kids who obviously were going home and talking to their parents saying, I want to invite James to the, you know, my, my next party. I love that. I also love the connectivity. And, and if, if that's a theme throughout your books that you highlight um, some of the things that maybe James engages in, some of the things that he does or self-soothes or helps him sort of cope when he's maybe overstimulated, it's a wonderful thing to do to remind everybody, children and adults, that we all have moments where we get overstimulated and we all have things that we do. Um, and, and so there's this commonality that I think is really great. And I love that you didn't just stop at, you know, one or two books. You've written how many in the series? There are 12 in the series. I love that. And the one, the 11th one was called Our Friend James. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole bunch of his friends all said, we want to be in books. 
we want to be in one. So I said, okay, well, what are some things you enjoy doing with James? And they just started coming up with ideas, swimming, teaching him to roll down a hill, playing with him on a playground, Cub Scouts, bowling, going out for ice cream, mm-hmm. all these different things that they enjoyed doing with him. And we were able to put all those together with all the kids. That's so cool. So you're, our, our listeners can't see it, but you're holding up the cover of that book, which is an actual picture of James and his friends, correct? Yep. I love that. And and so the other thing that's really cool that you've done by bringing this into the school systems is that now not only is James kind of the star of, of these books, but his friends, his actual friends are part of the story. And what kid doesn't want to be part of somebody's story and in a book? And I, I, I love that you've taken such a personal approach to, um, to this. Now, tell me, uh, we just have a couple minutes before we have to take a break, but tell me what has James, how has James reacted? Acted, or what do you see him, you know, as he's grown from, from like the first book and you coming in and reading it and having probably people sort of, you know, maybe watch him while you're reading or ask questions about him to you in front of him. And now that he's, um, you said, I think he's 13 at this point. So yep. how have you seen him grow into himself while there's also this parallel thing happening with the books being written about his experiences? Is any, any anything you want to share about that? Well, the 12th book, he actually wanted to help co-write with me. All right. And that one is called good. I Am James. <laughs> and he picked all the pictures for it and picked mm-hmm. up most of the wording that he wanted. And the fact that he was able to do this as a fifth grader, he started kindergarten basically nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, his first unprompted phrase was half St. Pat Day on St. Patrick's Day when he was four and a half. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely grown with it. And we recently went to a book signing up in Lake George and he talked to people and signed books. And that's fantastic. I am James live on the radio once. That's fantastic. So it sounds like he's really um, grown into or along with, I guess, the growth of the series. And now the next step for him was to, did he say to you, I want to write this book with you? Was that like a... This one we'd been talking about for a while. And I said, and he said, I want to help. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. And now he just came out with after two year break of basically no new books. He's like, I want to write a new book. James Cooks with Friends. Mm -hmm. And he wants each chapter to be a different cooking experience with a different friend and include the recipes. That sounds awesome. I love that. Um, what is his favorite food to, to cook? He likes to cook cookies. He likes to cook chicken. He likes mm-hmm. to cook tacos. Okay. He'll cook almost anything. Mm-hmm. And what's good is because he's now cooking, he's now trying the new foods. He knows he at least has to have a forkful of something he's cooked before I'll let him try something. He might have something else he prefers. And I, once again... You've hit on something that is going to have far reaching positive implications for a lot more kids than just James or just uh, children on the autism spectrum. Everybody goes through a picky eating phase. So what a cool thing to have a book written uh, um, by a a young person um, and also doing it with a friend because everything's more fun typically when you have a friend over doing it with you. So that's, this is great. We have to take a short break. When we come back though, I want to get a little bit more into some of the other aspects of James's life and your experiences with him and and maybe some ideas for the future let us know what's coming uh down the bike this is one in, one in 44 the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder i'm your host eliza bozenski and we'll be right back hey is that a faucet running nope that's not a faucet that's a river rushing through the forest it is yeah forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink 
The water comes straight from the forest to us. In fact, what? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. How do trees clean the air? They soak up the dirty air on their leaves, branches, and trunks, which means clean air for us. Hmm. Cool. I didn't know that. Yep. But the forest does more than give us clean air and water. It gives us shade for hot days, birds to listen to, and trees to climb. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't know how cool the forest could be. Hey, let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does, just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. And now, one in forty-four continues on one hundred point seven WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to one in forty-four, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm speaking with author and uh, mom, Carolyn Houston. Um, she's uh, written a series of well books, right? So far, yes. with the thirteenth now, uh, the ideas is being uh, developed. Um, all about her son, James, who is now 13. Uh, the first book was James Goes to Preschool, right? And uh, and the next one that, uh, or the, last, the most recent one, or number 11, I think, was the one that James decided that he wanted to co-write with you. That was number 12. That was number 12. Number 11 was his friends. Right. Okay. The friends. And then 12 was um, uh, co-written. I am James and uh, co-written by James himself. So um, it's a really great story. And and the series is wonderful. Like I said, I love the fact that you're out there in the schools. Um, have you been embraced by uh, any schools or, or had an opportunity to read in schools that are not where James is going to school? Have you gotten into any other districts? I've done a few, but most of my other author visits have been related to Native American history and Native mm-hmm. American foods. I am getting into some more, and our his ENT actually would like to see the entire series tied up in a ribbon and given to every single family when their child is diagnosed with autism, and he wants the developmental pediatricians to be giving those out. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at ways to get me into the medical conventions to let medical professionals know these exist. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. So, I mean, there are all sorts of conferences and expos. Um, I believe that one of my colleagues, the reason why we met you is because one of my colleagues at Anderson Center for Autism met you at an expo in Saratoga Yes, and thought you'd be a great guest on our podcast, which um, I'm glad she did because you are. And it's another way to get the word out about your books. Um, you know, that brings up an interesting point. And, and you talked about this a little bit earlier that, you know, when James was really young and it's in your blog too, I did read it on your website a lot of the, the blog entries you had. And, and and one of the things that you talk about is what it was like trying to have James assessed um, and to find out you know, how you could help him more and whether he was going to be eligible for a diagnosis of any kind or not. And, and I've heard the story time and time again, which is um, it was difficult. Um, I, I One line really stood out to me where I think it was a pediatrician who told you he's far too snuggly and affectionate to have autism. Exactly. And wouldn't even send you to a developmental pediatrician. These stories, um, you know, are tricky because I think that there's a there's there's probably quite a number of families who might feel an initial sense of relief when a professional, a medical professional, says, "No, I don't think so. Um, everything's going to be okay." You talk about how you were relieved when your sort of gut instinct as a mom was was recognized by a professional saying, "Yes." 
actually there there is something going on here and and because it gave you access and it, more importantly it gave James access to some interventions that would help him at a younger age do you have anything you want to say about that or any advice for parents who might be starting the process now with maybe a you know an 18 month old a 2 year old a 3 year old where their gut is telling them something's going on and they they you know it's it's a, it's a really early type of advocacy right right when he was 15, 12 months old he was talking but all he was saying was repeating phrases off of the TV. He would say Donald Duck. He would say, oh, toodles. He could repeat the sound a rooster made because a rooster came and tapped on our window every morning and would crow. So he would repeat that. He never said mama, dada. And by 15 months, he'd stop talking. And temper tantrums went to two and a half, three hours. And he would just be completely destructive, throwing things off because he was, I'm assuming because he was frustrated, he couldn't communicate. Sure. We were able to get him into early intervention, but when I asked the developmental pediatrician for the referral, I mean, the regular pediatrician for the referral, she's like, no, 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 he doesn't need it. Well, I figured out how to circumvent around her and actually got the early intervention people to come in and do an evaluation, which I actually saw on Facebook was 12 years ago today. Oh, wow. They came in and did all the evaluations Mm -hmm. and it turned out he was two standard deviations down on a couple of the areas they tested one and a half on that two more and one standard deviation below normal on the last two. So they started him with speech therapy and developmental therapy. And within two months had added OT and PT. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the doctor had had to sign all these prescriptions that she realized, well, maybe you should go see a developmental pediatrician. Mm-hmm. So it took me mm-hmm. circum- and then that took six months to get in. And we were out of state at that point and knew that we could find better services here. In New, mm-hmm. York. in New York. Yeah. So I called BOCES and said, what district would you recommend moving into? And said, we can't tell you to move into the name of the district that we're currently in. <laughs> and they must have said that at least 10 times during that phone call. So it's a very, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Right, right, right. We were able to move in here. And as we were unmoving, loading the moving truck, somebody from Schenectady County early intervention was actually at the house doing the intake paperwork as we were unloading the moving truck. Wow. And within That's a lot of advocacy days, on your part. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And within 10 days, he w- they put him into a preschool. Mm-hmm. So rather than having somebody come for inter- early intervention to the house for just a couple months and then switching them, let's just start him right in a preschool. Mm-hmm. So at 27 months, he was in a preschool. Wow. Five days a week. And we would go in there and one speech therapist, he would only do things with m- music. The other speech therapist, he refused to do anything with music. And you would go into his meetings and every single person you thought you were talking, you thought every service provider was talking about a different kid. Really? That's having so much fun playing one against the other. And he knew he was doing it. <laughs> and like he was, had been able to identify all his colors before we moved. Mm-hmm. He did not show. And we moved in February. He did not show the preschool that he knew those till August. Okay. Playing a little hard to get there. Mm-hmm. And then we okay. switched him from that preschool to another preschool that was an integrated preschool. Uh-huh. And we were walking down the hall one day and the physical therapist said, I can't get him to jump or walk downstairs with alternate feet. And I looked at like, what? And he was right with us. I said, James, jump. And he jumped up and down, had a blast. So then we went to the stairs, handed him a book and had him walk up and down. Mm-hmm. And he could do that. So after that, every month, the PT, physical therapist, had me come in and we would raise the bar because he would do more for me than he would for her. Huh. And he's done that consistently all the way through, even now in seventh grade. <coughs> He went through one spell in kindergarten where he refused to write his name on anything. Mm-hmm. And they had me come in in January because I was volunteering off and on. And in January, they mentioned, we can't come to write his name on anything. 
And I looked like, what? Grabbed one of the James Goes to Preschool books and said, James, I need you to autograph this. He put his pencil down, picked up a pen, wrote his name as neat as could be. And they're like, how long has he been autographing? Months. And he was just seeing what he can get away with. And what he can get away with. <laughs> again, all right, let me just pause there and say again, um, maybe frustrating at times, <coughs> excuse me, for probably the, the people working with him and for you and me and maybe for James also, but a very age appropriate sort of response to these different environments. I mean, who as a parent of a neurotypical child or a neurodiverse child, you're going to see those pushing boundaries all the time. So I guess what I would take away from what you just shared is, is you found, um, you know, a lot of opportunities to advocate and a lot of need to advocate, but then you also, um, it sounds like must've had to forge relationships with all of these professionals who were working with James so that they felt comfortable looking to you and saying, Hey, you know, it's time. Can you come back now and sort of help us, like you said, raise the bar. Um, after speaking and getting to know so many families, um, Anderson families and other families raising children with autism, one of the themes that I always hear is that um, the relationships that the parents and the caregivers have together and the, and the teachers and, you know, any professionals working with the child, as long like that relationship is, is instrumental to the success of um, you know, the, the, the individual with autism reaching um, goals and continuing to make progress and become more independent. Um, and where you really see things falter is when the team around that person does not have a good relationship. So, so I appreciate you telling that the, those stories because I think it's a great opportunity to just remind parents um, as you might be starting off on this journey um, you know, remember that, you know, working and, and uh, trying to hire, if you're, if you're doing self-direction of any kind, trying to make sure you're hiring people where you know that you're going to be part of that team. And that voice is really important. Um, speaking of self-direction, are you an, a, bro- a broker? Yes, um, I'm a broker for 55 people. Wow. Okay. So we only have a couple, we have two minutes, but um, uh, if you could just take like a minute and explain what you do as a broker for those 55 people, because I think self-direction and the role of broker is one that a lot of people don't necessarily still understand yet. As broker, I help people set up their budgets, Mm -hmm. make sure that they've got everything they need for the services they want. Then I help hire staff Mm -hmm. and Basically set up like an IEP, but it's for outside of school and it's a staff action plan based off of the life plan. So it's basically a direction book for staff um, saying when you're out in the community, you have to keep the child within or the person with special needs within arm's length or within sight of range of sight or where you want to do or what you need to do to help him with his goals. Like one of James's goals was teach him how to lock and unlock the door. Mm-hmm. So he now can come in after school, let himself in. Ah, awesome. All right. So, so I just wanted to make sure we reference that only because again, um, it's a big thing that's being discussed. I think, especially in light of how challenging it can be as you get older, um, to, to confine a continuation of services as an adult living with autism, that it's just good to know, um, that there are, you know, there is self-direction out there and it is an option for a number of people. Um, so I just wanted to highlight the fact that we don't always have people who are doing multiple things on the podcast. And, and I wanted to let people know that you do, um, you are a broker um, for that number of folks as well. And I'm also support parent through parent to parent. Oh, parent to parent. I know that organ. That's yep, great. Wonderful. There. And um, the parent support for our school district when they have a need a parent support for that 
CSE. Like a CSE meeting. Awesome. So you have, again, I'm just going to come back to like, I think that you really embody the type of relationship building that is instrumental to not only supporting your own child, but your community and also the professionals, many of whom need as much information as they can gain and, um, and need that support, starting with James Goes to Preschool and having that book that doesn't just have information, but also has prompts to keep the conversation going, because that's how you start to really have a, a ripple effect of an impact. Um, we need to wrap up this interview, but Carolyn Houston, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and talking about your books and your son and your experience um, as you gain knowledge and find really creative ways to share it with others. We appreciate it so much. Um, I'm going to say it one more time. The website is Carolyn L. Houston. It's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-L-H-U-S-T-O-N dot Wix, W-I-X dot com. And I think if you uh, put that in, or even if you just type in Carolyn Houston in a Google search, I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, your books are for sale on Amazon. And we yeah. just wish you you and James all the best in your future and, and hope that you continue to write. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is One in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.